I get the privilege to introduce my father-in-law, Mike Landers. Uh, he is a, right now currently a deacon at the Campus Church in Pensacola, Florida, but he served in youth ministry since 1985. He's been uh, an assistant pastor, and he has played a great role in my life in mentoring me, and he has probably given me one of the greatest earthly blessings that I have, my wife. And so he is he's a wonderful, loving, wise, kind man, and I'm very happy to have him come and share uh, a lesson today in our Sunday School Hour. So come on up here. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Thank you. First, I want to thank Pastor for the privilege of being able to have a part in this wonderful uh, service and the uh, solemn as well as unique uh, uh, event considering the ordination of someone for the ministry, uh, especially uh, one of your pastors, uh, Pastor Ben, and I know he's dear to your heart, dear to my heart as well. Uh, Spurgeon once declared that ordination consisted of the laying on of hands, idle hands on empty heads. And I've known Ben for over eight years, and I can confirm that his head is not empty, uh, although I have to be a little bit biased because he did marry my daughter. So it is good to, good to be here in the house of the Lord today. In all seriousness, though, I am privileged to have seen Ben's growth, his spiritual growth and maturity over the years as he's faithfully ministered here at uh, Calvary Baptist to uh, the church here, to the young people, uh, as well as his ministry to his wife and children, uh, to the authorities that God has placed in his life. And uh, he is a very commendable and encouraging young man, so I appreciate his ministry. As John wrote in his third letter, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And uh, that is truly a a great blessing to hear that uh, God's using he and his wife that way. This morning, I'd like for us to examine some biblical thoughts on ordination, this formal, unique, sacred event, and the blessing that it is in the life of the church. We'll examine some of the biblical explanation of ordained. We'll look at the biblical misinterpretations of the day, some of those. We'll also look at a biblical example in Scripture, a biblical illustration of a uniquely chosen couple who give us a pattern to follow when it comes to our own lives as well as those in church leadership. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 18. As we begin, we have a bit of introduction, then we'll look at Acts chapter 18. To begin with, though, the term ordained is a word that is used uh, throughout the Bible. Basically, it means chosen. According to Bible dictionaries, it means appointed instituted, established, invested with ministerial or pastoral functions, settled. Uh, and for example, if you look at the Old Testament use, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, where God ordains Jeremiah, he says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations." That word in the Hebrew is used numerous times to indicate something that is given, something that is dedicated, uh, something appointed or assigned, and so forth. It's a very general term, not exactly what the more modern uh, ordination service means, but it does give us a bit of foundational principle to it, the, the selection of someone, the appointing of someone for a specific task. In the New Testament, 
it's used 20 times, with several usages meaning chosen or set in place, uh, such as Jesus' words in John 15, 16, the very, very familiar passage that tells us, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And those two words, chosen, are the same. But when he says, and ordained you, it's different. It's a different word. So he, he chose us and ordained us, where he says, they're specifically speaking to his disciples. I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, and so forth. So the word chosen here indicates this idea of selected. The Lord selected specific individuals. He selects us and then ordained you. He ordains us. That is, that is not just a selection, but that is a placing, being laid down. So it's as if something is picked up, a tool or something is picked up, positioned, and placed. And that's the idea that the Lord gives us here as he talks about ordaining us to bring forth fruit. That's the position he puts us in. He puts us in a position where as we abide in the vine, and, he, and, and, and we being the branches abide in him, as we abide in the vine, we can bring forth that fruit because he's placed us in that specific place. Now, in First in Timothy, we see another instance of this where Paul himself says of himself, whereunto I am ordained, I am placed. He uses the same word ordained here as placed. A preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. You see specific roles that he identifies with. I am placed into a position where I am a preacher, I am an apostle, I am a teacher of the Gentiles. Notice that. Here is Paul, this one that's commissioned to go to the Gentiles. I am commissioned to go, I am appointed to go, I am placed in a position where I am going to the Gentiles uh, in faith and verity. There are instances in the early church and in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul where he has identified specifically selected individuals who were ordained for the specific role of leadership in the early church. And twice we see Paul uses this uh, in context involving pastors. And again, this is just a, 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 a brief biblical understanding of the term and how it's used in a variety of, of settings. We see uh, several passages in Scripture that talk about uh, ordaining elders, ordaining what we know today as like pastors, that specific role. And here we see in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, that and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So we have specific roles here of men being chosen out and placed in leadership positions in the early church that were done with prayer and fasting, and they were commended to the Lord in specific manner. And then in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul instructs Titus, and he tells Titus, for this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou should set in order, uh, I like that term, I, I do a lot of uh, management and administration work, so when I see these terms that remind me of my work Monday through Friday, uh, I take note, and so when I saw this term that, that thou should set in order, I'm like, I can identify with that, I know exactly what he's talking about, setting things in order, putting things in the right place, uh, things that are wanting, things that were lacking there in that church and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. So Titus was instructed to go and assist the churches in appointing and selecting these specific pastoral leadership people, uh, these men who would lead the church, the early church in that day. 
so several passages as we go through the New Testament, we see uh, an aspect of laying on of hands uh, in the life of Timothy specifically that lead us to incorporate that practice in the ordination service. So these statements in the New Testament involving the early church and the selection of people to leadership, men specifically to leadership within the church, uh, they, they hearken back to almost an Old Testament uh, practice of this idea of selecting individuals such as uh, prophets, like Jeremiah, like that we looked at, that Jeremiah was specifically ordained. Uh, uh, priests, such as the Aaron uh, role that Aaron had as a priest uh, in, in the times of Israel. And then uh, David, uh, chosen as king. We look at uh, these kings who were anointed with oil and specifically chosen for leadership roles in the Old Testament. So it, uh, these New Testament activities kind of harken back to that Old Testament practice of selecting individuals for leadership. Now, unfortunately, some of the changes over the years, and obviously uh, the things we participate in today have changed in both purpose and, and, and form from Old Testament times, uh, Old Testament practices, but uh, the, uh, the changes that have occurred over the years, even from the New Testament, uh, have, have involved a lot of misinterpreting Scripture. We think of uh, the role that ordaining men to the uh, clergy versus the laity, and there was a concept in the, in the uh, early, uh, after the early church was established that uh, began to be prominent in a, in a Catholic uh, setting where uh, there was this concept that the people who were selected to leadership within the church had a, a higher spirituality than those that were the, the laity in the church. Uh, so there were some biblical misinterpretations. And as we get closer to today, we see some of those misinterpretations involving even women. Uh, the cooperative Baptist, there is a Baptist fellowship that says uh, there are those uh, who, just like Miriam and Deborah and Esther, Queen Esther, were chosen for a leadership role uh, in the Old Testament. Women need to be ordained and should be ordained to pastoral roles in today's church. Uh, the Christian Missionary Alliance, I just read last month, where over 60% of their uh, churches voted in favor of women being ordained to pastoral ministry. And on the other side of that issue, again last month, the Southern Baptist Convention made news when one of their pastors requested at the annual meeting that certain churches be voted out of the Southern Baptist Convention because they had women pastors. And so they, they voted overwhelmingly to expel five churches from the Southern Baptist Convention because they have women pastors. And so there, is, there, is, there are clear biblical issues. Uh, there's very clear biblical statements about the role of women in, in, in leadership in the church, um, how, how men are to be taking pastoral leadership in the church, and yet these biblical truths seem to be lost amid the cultural outcries of things such as diversity and equality and inclusion. And I'm not against the role of women in the church. There, there are specific roles that women have in the church. They're a vital part of the church. But God specifically states about men being selected for those pastoral leadership positions. Now, in addition, today, our churches have bought into the idea that educating the head equals training the person. In the New Testament, we see throughout the New Testament, there is training, there is mentoring that went on. But that mentoring was to result in action. Uh, many think that uh, knowledge is equal to spirituality. The more you know, the more degrees you have at the end of your name, the more spiritual you are. And therefore, education is sufficient for godly leadership. But ministry is an action word. 
You cannot get training doing the work of the ministry just from reading a book. And just as uh, doing research papers or listening to lectures are important, that's not how you learn to do the work of the ministry. Now imagine being the first patient of a surgeon who had only read books and done research and listened to years of lectures on how to perform surgeries. I don't know about you, but I don't know that I'd want to be his first patient, right? But ministry, ministry is even more important than performing lectures or selling a spiritual idea to a congregation who gathers once a week. Ministry is based on truth, and that truth is often best lived out through action. Ministry is action. And for an illustration, I'd like us to look here at Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. This is a great example of what an ordained church leader, one who is selected, set apart, uniquely positioned in a place where they can be a leader and have a great impact in the church, um, who may not have necessarily been a senior pastor. That's one of the things that I think is very unique. Generally, you hear of people being ordained and they become the pastor. And yet we have a situation where Pastor Ben is a youth pastor. And yet he believes God has called him to pastoral ministry to be ordained. And so we see in this instance, we also have a biblical example, a biblical illustration of someone who was, in a sense, ordained, set apart for a specific role in the early church, and yet wasn't necessarily indicated to be the the senior pastor of that ministry. Acts chapter 18, we see Paul on his second missionary journey. And you can't see all the details of the map, but you can kind of make out his path that he went to, uh, went went around to, starting over on the lower right-hand side with Jerusalem and Antioch, uh, started up there in the church at Antioch, and uh, went through Asia Minor up towards the north, and then headed over uh, towards Mysia, and then crossed over into... uh, into Philippi, where we, we read the account of Lydia, the seller of purple. Uh, she had a very interesting role in the early church. We learn about uh, Silas and Luke and Timothy being with him, and Paul and Silas imprisoned in jail, and uh, singing at midnight in the earthquake, and uh, the Philippian jailer becoming a believer and his family. Uh, great things were happening there in Philippi. He goes down to Berea, where we have this group of people who searched the scriptures. He goes on down to Athens, Greece. Uh, There he encounters this altar to the unknown God. Uh, Then he travels down over to Corinth. And then after 18 months there of ministering, he goes to Ephesus briefly, and then back to Israel and Antioch, completing the circuit. And we see here in Acts chapter 18 a couple that are in stark contrast to Acts chapter 5, where we see another couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who came. And we know the end of that story did not end well. But look at Acts chapter 18. And after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. So why would Paul go to Corinth? Well, Corinth in modern-day Greece was one of the largest and most important cities in the Roman Empire. It was... At one time, it had a population of about 90,000 people. But around the time the Romans came, they they conquered the city, burned a lot of the city, uh, killed multiple women and children throughout the city. And eventually, the Romans realized the importance of its position, and so they began to build it back up, built up the city of Corinth. 
into a thriving uh, metropolis, a major trade route. It was famous for brass. It was famous for pottery, architectural style. Uh, the Greco columns were very popular there. In fact, they're still popular today. You can go see some of those uh, ancient ruins. Um, the Isthmian Games were being held here. These are the precursor to the Olympic Games that we celebrate today. Uh, those were held here. Yet the general population was extremely immoral. They were very materially minded, very materialistic. And so here is this tremendous opportunity for the spread of the gospel at a key location where it could go not just to that region, but it could go to both Asia and Italy. So it's a unique position that Paul finds himself in. Why is he there in Corinth? Because of religious opportunity. Furthering the gospel, he sees here a great opportunity. And uh, we see his role in that as it unfolds in chapter 18. So Paul comes to Corinth. Pick it up there at verse 2, Acts chapter 18. And there he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy. So we have this gentleman here who's a Jew, so he's going to be meeting at the synagogue, and here is where Paul's going to end up meeting him when they're at the synagogue. Aquila comes with his wife Priscilla because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. That's not necessarily why she came with him, uh, because the, the Romans didn't say, wives, you have to go with your husbands. But she came with him because they were married, obviously. Claudius, Claudius the emperor of Rome, commanded that the Jews would leave that city. And so they decided to find a place where they could make some money, tent making. And this happened to be a great place for them. Uh, I, I honestly believe that it was not an accident. I believe God ordains, if you will, the positions he places people in their travels. Uh, and we'll see that in a moment. But we look at, at, at how God brought Aquila and Priscilla here. Why were Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth? Well, they were there because of religious persecution. They were there because they were being persecuted for their faith. You Christians, get out of town. You've got to pick up and leave. We don't want you here in Rome anymore. And so here they got to uh, Corinth, and uh, Corinth would be a good place to make tents, and tents in those days were usually either leather or they, they were some woven goat hair fabric. Uh, and a very well-known location for getting that goat hair fabric was Cilicia. And that happens to be the area, the region around Antioch and Tarsus, where Paul is from. He's from Tarsus in that region. And so it's no surprise that Paul comes to the synagogue and meets this gentleman. And Aquila and, and Paul strike up a conversation about tent making. And before you know it, Paul's working for Aquila. And so here we have verse 3. Because he was of the same craft, that was his trade, he had a trade craft, he abode with them. He lived with Aquila and Priscilla and wrought. He worked. He labored with them. For by their occupation they were tent makers. And he, being Paul, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So he's talking with the Jews there. He's talking with the Greeks, those he's coming in contact with. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews there in the synagogue, to those Jews, that Jesus was Christ, Messiah. This Jesus that they have heard about is Messiah. And then there's this great uproar. 
and uh, uh, all kinds of things happen. But looking at this church in Corinth, we have Paul going to Corinth so that he could meet and develop this church in Corinth. He can meet Aquila and Priscilla. They get this church established in Corinth. And when he's there, we see at the, at the synagogue, there is this divine appointment. We see that God never wastes these networking opportunities. Paul is meeting with Aquila. Come to find out they are co-laborers in tent making. And I just, I just love this to see how God uses these divine appointments. Do you happen to know this person? Oh, you're from that location? Do you happen to know this person? Uh, it, it was quite fascinating when we moved from Wisconsin down to Pensacola, Florida, several years ago, to come to find out that there are people there who knew people we knew. In fact, one of the assistant pastors there used to be under the um, administration of my dad, who was a, the uh, school principal, and uh, this young man was in junior high school under my dad. Uh, my mom actually taught him some piano lessons. Uh, who would have ever thought that we'd come across someone like that in, in, in Pensacola? And then, of course, the more you get to talking to people, the more connections you have. Then, then uh, we begin coming up here visiting Ben and Beth, and we find out the owls are here. Well, we knew them in Wisconsin. It's like all these connections. You're only one or two people away from someone who knows someone you know. It's just fascinating, and, and, and I love that with the body of Christ. And it's so, it's so encouraging, and it just makes us have, it just gives us this little glimpse of what it's going to be like in heaven. Do you remember when we were, oh, yes, I remember, and you remember, you remember doing this? No, I don't remember doing that. Well, you did, and it made such an impact on me that I ended up doing this. You did, that's incredible. And just a recount of how God used us in unique ways, these divine appointments that God used to accomplish his will and his work in such a unique way. And I see that here with Paul coming in contact with Aquila. And then, of course, they're going to take him home for lunch, right, and meet Priscilla, and these two, these two just kind of adopt him as one of their, their, their cohorts and uh, co-laborers, and they develop this relationship. And what a sweet relationship it ends up being. So Aquila and Priscilla have this divine appointment, and we see God never wastes networking. God never wastes those divine appointments. But we also see a divine preparation. Paul, he was trained as a young man in a specific trade, he knew how to work with his hands. And God used that training later in his life to help provide housing and food for the mission team. God never wastes experiences. Things you learn when you're younger in your life, take with you because God can put that in your toolbox of ministry and use that in unique ways to further the gospel, to impact others for Christ. God never wastes experiences. And then we see a divine intervention, especially in the life of Aquila and Priscilla. They're relocated from Rome down to Corinth. They don't have friends. Their contacts are with probably only those within the synagogue. And yet there is this divine intervention where God brings Paul into their life and shares with them the truth that Christ, Jesus, is Christ. God never wastes opportunities. We see that in the life of Paul as well as in Aquila. It wasn't long before Paul used his good work ethic and uh, his hard work and his, his testimony of life as well as his testimony of words in explaining about this Old Testament uh, 
declaration of there will come one who will bear the sins of man. And uh, he begins to share with him uh, the gospel. And Aquila comes to know Christ as his savior. God never wastes those witnessing opportunities. I trust we don't either. I trust we take all opportunities we can to see God working in arranging for a divine appointment, a divine intervention, a divine preparation, and putting these things together to impact those in our lives. Now, we see here this this early church beginning in Corinth, and we know from the book of Corinthians there were a lot of struggles that they went through in 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 their time. Uh, But let's look at another instance where Paul talks about this couple. Turn to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Toward the end of the book of Romans, Paul has this little section of personal greetings. And in Romans chapter 16, in verse 3, he specifically says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila my helpers in Christ Jesus. I think that's quite unique how he said it. I, I, having been involved in ministry in a variety of ways and having actually traveled some, uh, when you go to a home, isn't it usually the, the, the wife who takes you under her arm and says, okay, the linens are over here, the towels are over there, help yourself to the food in the fridge. There's, you know, this, this is that. And they just kind of let you feel right at home, right? And here he puts... Priscilla before Aquila. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. I think there was a special relationship of friendship and love that both Priscilla and Aquila had with Paul. But he, look what he, how he refers to them. He says, greet these two, greet this couple, my helpers in Christ Jesus. What a unique way to describe them. They helped Paul in so many different ways that Paul was just overwhelmed in joy to refer to them as my helpers. And look what he says, who have for my life laid down their own necks. I guess we could say they stuck out their necks for the apostle Paul. Unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Wow, that's a big group all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. What a unique role they played in the early church. We see these helpers of Paul that were chosen to to fulfill a unique position in the early church, and specifically there in Corinth. So as we look at these helpers of Paul, I want us to consider five characteristics of church leaders, those who are involved in leadership within the church, and how they can display various qualities that uh, these, these couples displayed. And so initially, the conversation would be to Pastor Ben and, Ms. and his wife, Mrs. Beth, but also to all of us that have somewhat of a leadership role, if we have children here, if we have others that we lead, such as in a Sunday school class, or if we're those who are deacons, those who minister in a variety of ways of leadership within the church. Uh, If you're a leader in your own home, if you have children, then you're a leader. Uh, So there are a variety of applications that could be put here on all of us who have roles of leadership, uh, even even outside the church. But specifically here, I want us to look at those within the church. 
First, we see in, in looking at Acts chapter 18, and even here, that there is a ministry of hospitality, this characteristic of church leaderships, of hospitality. Uh, we see not only here, but also in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19, where Paul talks about the church that is in their home. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, 9 has a reference to them as well, specifically stating about Aquila and Priscilla. And so they were hospitable. They welcomed Paul into their home. And I'm sure that over the course of years, they welcomed others into their home. We know that, in fact, because of a man who came to their midst named Apollos. Apollos, who was a firebrand, an evangelist declaring the things he knew to be true about God. And yet he needed to be a little adjusted in his preaching. We'll see that in a moment. But even before their salvation, the relocation of having to move from Rome to Corinth, God used that in their lives to help them see the importance of being hospitable to others. And I think that's so appropriate when we see new folks move into an area and oftentimes they open their home and are welcoming to other fellow believers to be ministered to and to minister. So I believe their hearts were prepared by the Lord for a great work of opening their home to the brethren in Corinth. As we see them move after 18 months there in Corinth, they move over to Ephesus. We see in Ephesus the same thing, uh, that they are very hospitable. And then years later in Ephesus, as uh, Timothy is discussed in, their, in relation to them. Also, we see this characteristic of humility. Humility. In Romans 16.3, the term that Paul used to describe them, my helpers requires humility. You can't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think if you're going to be a helper, a servant to others. Having the right view of yourself enables you to have the right view of your ministry. And so view yourself as a helper, as a servant. Uh, in, In the role of being ordained, you really are commissioned to become a servant of the servants of God. Are you not? So there is this idea of humility. I see Paul looking at the ministry of Aquila and Priscilla as fellow laborers who worked in the shadows, who worked behind the scenes, who worked there when no one else seemed to be working, who were still there, who had a church in their home. You talk about being the first ones at church and the last ones to leave, right? And they're in your home, you're there before everybody arrives, and you're there when everybody leaves, cleaning up the mess. What a role to have in an early church like that. I also see that this couple showed faithfulness, faithfulness. They were willing to stay where God had planted, replanted, and replanted them. They were forced to move to Corinth, but God also moved them to Ephesus. God replanted them, and wherever they were, they were faithful. Religious persecution drove them, literally, to the Lord. And then when they left Corinth with Paul, went to Ephesus in Asia Minor, we see Paul writing to Timothy uh, about this couple. They're still there. They're still ministering. They're still faithful to the Lord. Now, what a testimony for this young couple. For this, uh, I shouldn't say young, I don't know how old they were, but for this couple who were involved in the early church. And then we see this characteristic of leadership. Leadership. Much, much needs to be said and can be said about leadership. But in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 18... Uh, let me just go back there right quick and read about his, their role with this man named Apollos. Acts chapter 18. Feel free to turn back to Acts chapter 18, verse 24. So we'll start Acts 18, 
24, and a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. And guess who he's going to connect with? You're right, Aquila and Priscilla. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. There we go. They're in the synagogue. Whom, when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them. Here they are being hospitable. They took Apollos home and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And I like how that, that is recording for us that they didn't just expound to him the way of Paul. They expounded him the way of God more perfectly. And uh, when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. So I see this replication of ministry in the life of Aquila and Priscilla as they invest through leadership, guiding, directing in, in leadership, mentoring this, this man, Apollos, and I see him then taking what he learned and going on and ministering to others. And that's leadership, replicating yourself in others so they then can be leaders. And are we not commissioned? That goes back to our very uh, first reference talking about being ordained. I've ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should what? Remain. Your fruit should remain. And that fruit's going to bear fruit and bear more fruit and bear much fruit. And so hospitality, we see the humility of, of these two. We see their faithfulness. We see their leadership and their relationship with Apollos. And then lastly, we see their sacrifice. They were willing to risk their lives for the sake of their spiritual father, Paul, they were willing to sacrifice. Notice how Paul says that they were willing to, they, they have for, for Paul's life laid down their own necks. And not only to, for, for the benefit of Paul, but also the benefit of the churches of the, of the Gentiles. And so they're willing to sacrifice for uh, the furtherance of the gospel, for those saints who are laboring for the gospel. And uh, that's where I see Aquila and Priscilla as well. So I trust that we will take these key characteristics of this dear couple and apply them in our own lives to make us see how we can be even more advantageous uh, for the furtherance of the gospel. We can, we can uh, adorn the gospel. So we looked at the biblical uh, explanation, a biblical misinterpretation. We looked at uh, a biblical illustration there in Scripture. As we prepare for the sacred formal event uh, later in, in the life of this church body, I would like us to remember there are three uh, three areas, a threefold blessing uh, in regards to the ordaining of a servant to gospel ministry. First, the biblical ordination is an act of commissioning. It's an act of commissioning by which the elders, who are representative of the authority of Jesus Christ as head of the church, invoke God's blessing upon the one ordained, and they signify that he is set apart as a servant of the servants of God. It's an act of worship by which the congregation representative of the people of God, affirm that the one being ordained as chosen and empowered by the Holy Spirit has shown, has shown the gifts for the ministry within the local church. And then the ordination is a gift to the church by which the individual, after the examination of his inward call and outward spiritual life,
commits himself to faithfully administer the office of a minister of the gospel. Not to a holier ministry than those given to other baptized believers, but to a unique and sacred role within the church of the living God, among the believers. And may God be honored and worshiped and pleased as we unite our hearts and and our prayers together for Pastor Ben and his dear wife as they labor together in the ministry for the gospel's sake. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love for us in that you have planted this dear couple in this ministry. We thank you that you have ordained and set apart uh, them for a specific role. And we thank you that you allow us to partake in this great ministry. We ask, Father, that you would bless, and guide, and direct them in the days ahead as they minister for you, as they serve uh, with hearts full of sacrifice and service, hospitality, humility, showing leadership, and being faithful to your word and to the service of your people. Bless them, we pray. Bless the events of this day. We look forward to what you have for us, and may it truly be a time where you will smile upon it, and we will know that we have met with you and received your blessing. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for your sake. Amen. Thank you, Brother Landers. Uh, You are dismissed.